series about living with life-threatening illness, and my guest is Julie Jordan Marchese. Before I introduce Julie, though, and get into her really inspiring story, I want to talk a little bit about WMPG, because this is Begathon Week. And we are raising money for this amazing local community radio station. And I wanted to start the theme of, of you know, tonight's show is about women and um, women and cancer and ways that women are incredibly empowered around raising money for cancer research. But I, w- I have here in the studio Jen Hodgson, who is the sound engineer for this show, and her daughter Soleil. And we just wanted to spend a moment talking about what we love about WMPG. So I want to start with you, Soleil. What do you like about WMPG? Um... I like that it gives me the independence um, to be able to work on the radio. Not many kids get to do that. And um, I have a really high goal of getting to Juilliard, and it's really going to help with my resume. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know that, Mark? There you go. (laughs) You go, Soleil. (laughs) Wait, maybe I should be fundraising for Juilliard. (laughs) No, just kidding. Call call WMPG. Right. When you call, please call 874 3000 to give some money to support programming like Safe Space and to support kids like Soleil <laughs> getting some experience that will really serve them in life. What about you, Jen? What do you love about the station? Uh, well, actually, I kind of love the same thing that as Soleil. I love being able to participate in radio and, and help put what I care about in the community out on the, on the radio waves is the best part. It is so great. Yeah. For me, too, as I was a regular psychiatrist doing my regular thing and got to have this radio show because... This opportunity is really available through this station. I really hope you will give some money to support the work of WMPG. Such a wonderful thing to have local uh, people of all ages and all walks of life on the radio. Please call 874-3000. That's 874-3000. Thank you, Soleil. Thank you, Jen. (laughs) So turning now to my guest, Julie Jordan Marchese, who is the owner of Inspired Events, an event planning company for nonprofits. Julie's also worked as a community volunteer and as the vice president of sales for Jordan's Meats. But most importantly, Julie is the founder and race director of the Try for a Cure, which is the all-women's triathlon here in Maine to raise money for the Maine Cancer Cancer Foundation. Welcome to Safe Space. Thank you, Anne. Nice to be here. It's great to have you. I want to start by asking you about... um, how can you know your first introduction to cancer in a way through your mom and and tell me a little bit about her story how did she get diagnosed and how did you learn about it well i was um about um my family business had been sold and i was about to be without a job and um my mom and i decided that we would get ourselves really healthy and so that we could do things together and she went in for a mammogram and um her mammogram showed something strange and um, before you knew it she was having a biopsy and um, she is of the generation that you know didn't really want to hear what they were going to say and so I were I was her ears and her eyes and um, listened as the doctors told her she had cancer and um, I was lucky enough at that time to be without a job and to be able to spend the time with her through diagnosis to you know finishing her treatment and it was a really wonderful experience for us to do together. It sounds like it even started from the beginning as a shared project. You were getting, she was getting her mammogram, you guys were going to be right. Yeah, having that's this. the way it works. I, you know, and, and, you know, it just, things seem to fall into place, you know, losing my job and then having that happen. So, you know, everything fell into place so that I could be there for her. And um, she really needed somebody, you know, she was afraid, she was scared, 
she thought she was going to die, and um, she needed someone there to comfort her through that. But she she didn't die. <laughs> I understand she she's still alive. She's very fine, and she's doing very well. So um, she was lucky, very lucky. And she made a, a really an important choice, it sounds like, in, in her own treatment. She decided not to pursue chemo and to use radiation instead. And was that a hard decision? Well, I think... Um, because of her generation, she, she saw lots of friends along the way that when they had chemo, they became so sick. And usually during their chemo treatments, they died. And so she associated chemo with death. And so it was very important for her to listen to the statistics about, you know, how much more life it was going to give her when she was 68 and, you know, going through cancer. So um, she just felt that the statistics weren't good enough for her. They, you know, would only increase her lifespan, you know, a certain amount of time, where if it were me, um, I certainly would have taken you know, any treatment they would have to prolong my life. And she felt that, you know, she didn't need it. And so she associated herself with death, with chemo, and she just opted not to. So that was her decision. She owned that. And, you know, she's been lucky. So, And you, at the time, you were her adult daughter. Did you feel comfortable with that decision? I think I felt comfortable with that decision. Um, you know, talking to the doctors, they felt, you know, she could go either way, but it was her choice, and they didn't say, you know, she has to have it to survive, you know, 10 more years. So um, I think she I think she made the right choice. Sounds like she absolutely made the right choice. And there's, in medicine, there's a lot of research now about when the patient can choose their treatment and mm-hmm. can feel like really the empowered agent of their care, they tend to do better. Well, I think everybody should be empowered. <laughs> So you know, if you don't feel if you don't feel comfortable with something that's going to happen to you, and you should really take a vested interest in what's happening to you, because um, you you have that's something you have to feel. And if it doesn't feel right, sometimes you have to take control and say, "Sorry, no." And I know that when she was diagnosed, it was like, "Okay, we're going to bring you into the hospital. You're going to you know check in tomorrow." And she said, "Wait a minute." <laughs> no, not tomorrow. I need to digest this. I need to understand, well, I said this, I I need to understand where we're going here. We can't rush through this. It's not like, you know, you've had it. It's not like tomorrow the world's going to come to an end. Let's stop. Let's, you know, talk about it. Let's, you know, sit down and understand what's happening here before we just rush into the hospital to get it taken out. So, um, you know, and that's that's a good choice for most that people. sounds like a fantastic choice. It sounds like really you were empowered together before this even happened. That is not doesn't sound like it's a byproduct of everything that came after, but you entered as a very empowered right. Agent. And I had, you know I had friends that have had cancer before. I had a very good friend, um, Meredith Burgess, and she had just gone through um, major. Um, 
cancer, and she had, you know, seen a lot, and she's such an advocate of um, breast cancer, and I called her and said, what, you know, what do we do? What do we say? And, you know, she came over with the Dr. Love book and said, first you read this, and, you know, take your time, make, you know, understand your decisions, and so it was really good advice, and so she helped us get through that. That's so great. I think sometimes out of fear, the feeling is, I should get it out, get it out right away, you know, like go into the hospital immediately. Well, some people feel that way, right. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you have to be comfortable with your doctor. My mother was very uncomfortable with her doctor at first. And so we took a step back, and she didn't like him. And, and it was just a matter of him not being able to call her by her first name. She wanted it to be personal. She wanted to, you know, like him. <laughs> that makes sense. So we switched, and that's she found somebody that she liked. And then she w- moved on, and she felt much more comfortable about the process. It's a great story already, mm. uh, feeling how much she took charge of it. Mm. Yeah. So, so here you are. You, you've been with her and encouraging her and watching her, the way she's handling it. Um, and then how, how did you get diagnosed? What, tell me the story of that. Well, I, you know, my diagnosis came many years later, but through my mom, um, because I was fortunate to be able to stay home with my children at that time, I wanted to take the time to give back. And I felt that um, going through my mother's cancer journey, it gave me passion for something that I could give back with. And so um, I went to Maine Cancer Foundation and went to a couple meetings and got involved with um, Meredith Burgess again on a project called Cure Cure Breast Cancer for Me. And it's a luncheon that we do every year. And... um, I went to her meeting and signed on to be the chairperson for this luncheon. And I just became involved, and it was my time to give back. And I chose cancer because I watched my mother go through cancer. And so I had a passion about it. And you have to, to volunteer, you have to have a passion about something or you can't give yourself totally. So that's how I got started. And I've been doing um, the Cure Breast Cancer for me for, oh, it was our fifth year. And... um, I remember the next day saying, oh, I've got to go in for my mammogram. And um, there were some funny things going on on my mammogram, but nothing too alarming. Um, And (laughs) it's funny because I had a strange cancer story. I was actually having a breast reduction. And they were, I was concerned um, about having the breast reduction because there was something strange going on with my mammogram. And I consulted with my doctors, and they said, you know, there's no reason why you shouldn't go ahead with the breast reduction. And so I did. And I came back for my first follow-up after um, my operation, and that's when I was told that I had cancer. They had taken the pathology and sent it out, and they found DCIS. And so... Why don't you explain what that is? Um, it's inductal carcinoma. It's, it's when the, um, the cancer is still inside the duct. It hasn't come out. So it's, it's like a precancer or a very um, low stage of cancer. Um, but the funny thing was is they didn't know where in my breast. They knew it came out of my left breast. They didn't know where inside my breast it came from. So it was kind of... A very strange thing, the doctor that did my breast reduction hadn't seen anything like that in 20 years. Um, so everyone hadn't was seen anything cons- like what? Having somebody have a breast reduction and all of a sudden find out that they had cancer. 
Right. So it was. It's very unusual for that to happen. Yes. And they said it's kind of like finding a needle in a haystack. They just happened to cut the pathology in the right the biopsy in the right place, so, and they happen to find it. So that can be good. It can be bad. I mean, I could think, you know, I could never know. But they could have taken your cancer out, and you didn't know you have cancer. Right. Right. But, you know, now that I do know, um, you know, it was, you know, who do we consult with? How do we find out if they've got it all? Um, do we do treatment? Do we not do treatment? So it, it took quite a bit of time and a, a few doctors to figure out what we were going to do, and in the end, we decided to do nothing. Um, do we radiate a breast where we don't know where the cancer was? Right, so, you wouldn't even be able to focus you know, on the radiation. They wouldn't be able to do that. Do we do um, tamoxifen? Well, you know, we, so no one knew what to do, and I decided they were going to put me on tamoxifen, and I said, no, I don't think I want to do that. I just heard too many things about, you know, how women react to doing that, and, and what's the point if they really think they have it all? So, you know, I'm hurry up and wait, and I go every six months, and um, I've had a biopsy since then because there are still things that they see that are not right um, so I live with a little fear of, will I get it back? But, you know, you can't live your life that way. You just have to be proactive in your medical care and, you know, live each day that, you know, as it is and enjoy it. So so that brings us to a wonderful um, chance to sort of switch gears and talk a little bit about how you have coped and how the Try for a Cure really came out of this. Before we do that, I want to just say this is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann, and this is Safe Space. Um, and I'm talking to Julia, Julie Marchese about the Try for a Cure. And uh, it's interesting because the Try for a Cure, of course, is an amazingly successful fundraiser for cancer research, specifically for the Maine Cancer Foundation. And this, tonight is Begathon for WMPG, which is our amazingly successful fundraising effort here at WMPG. I've got Jen with me here on the phone. I'm not on the phone. Oh, I'm there on you the are. Microphone. She's Hi. on the microphone. And I just wanted to say again, please give money to support WMPG and um, the possibility of hearing these kinds of interviews with inspiring women and we from have, Maine. And we have some thank you gifts, some T-shirts and hoodies. I'm wearing a hoodie right now, and it's fantastic, I have to tell you. Um, and some box sets and some CDs. So if you call 874-3000, they will give you the information and tell you like what kind of thank you gift you're eligible for based on your gift. Yes, your hip WMPG T-shirt or sweatshirt. Yeah. Thank you. So that number again is 874-3000. So coming back to you, Julie, um, so obviously, you know, you, you are sort of a really take charge person and you, you made decisions about your care in the face of a great deal of uncertainty. And how did that, how did that take you to designing this incredible event? Tell me the story of the Try for a Cure. Well, after, um, after I went through, you know, my cancer story, um, I decided to do something that was empowering for me, and I chose to do an all-women's triathlon. And I got seven friends to go down and do it with me, many of them breast cancer survivors like myself. And it was amazing. <laughs> we all just were just in awe. And it was the day. It was the women. It was the, the cheering and, and everything that goes around it. And I was on the board of Maine Cancer Foundation and um, on the development committee. And we were discussing 
another year of doing another um, golf tournament and how difficult it is to do a golf tournament and how they wanted to do something different. And I said, just out of the top of my head, why don't we do an all-women's triathlon? And they looked at me like, are you crazy? What is a triathlon? <laughs> and I said, it is the coolest thing ever. We have to do this. And they said, who's going to do that? And I said, I will. And they said, well, if you can raise $35,000 and you think you can put this together, go for it. And so I did. And I got a great friend, Abby Bliss, and she came along with me and helped. And we worked and we worked and we, you know, we didn't really know what we were doing. And um, our first year was a huge success. We sold out in eight weeks, which is unusual for a triathlon in general. Sold out the number of spots for an athlete. Right. Uh -huh. We had did 500 the first year, and our budget for $35,000 net grew into $250,000 net the first year. And again, listen, net is not gross. That's what actually went to cancer research and patient support for the Maine Cancer Foundation. They, they're a grant-making um, foundation. And so all that money went out, and um, we went and we did it again year two, and we broke all records, and we raised $425,000 net year two. Incredible. And year two, we sold out in 20 minutes. The sign-up. Sign so up. went from eight weeks to 20 minutes in right. one year. In one year. And I think we went from 500 to 700 year two. And year three, we've gone to 800. Now, we're not going to go any bigger than that. <laughs> There's only so many people you can put out on bikes in the city of South Portland. Um, and our goal is to raise $600,000. This year. So this is the third year of the triathlon. Year three. And with a triathlon, how long are the distances? Just to give us a feel for sure. Sure. Um, it's very doable, and that's why I think we're so successful. It's um, a third-mile swim. And the key to the swim is it's in the ocean, so it's it's very cold. Um, and the bike is 12 miles, and the run is 3 miles. Yeah, so when you put those things together, it is challenging. There's no question. Oh, it's definitely Doodle a challenge. Doable may be challenging, yes. Right, but there's many other events you could say that are, you know, things that you would never even think of doing when you think of triathlons. So that, you know, that's a very reasonable and doable um, length. And then, you know, you can do it as a team. So someone would swim, someone would bike, and someone would run. So that's always fun, too. So what it says to me when you say that in the first year it was sold out in eight weeks and the second year it was sold out in 20 minutes is clearly we're talking about word of mouth here, that this is an idea that inspires people, that spreads and really captures people's imagination. Well, I think it's the challenge. Um, I think it's women um, doing something together. I think it's a social atmosphere versus a, um, you know, competitive atmosphere. Women are cheering each other on to do their best and to accomplish their goal, and they do it together. I mean, there's lots of women that come across a finish line and wait for each other so they can hold hands coming across the finish line. It's not about who wins. Um, you know, we have news media there, and they say, oh, who's going to win? Who, what number do we watch? And I say... No, it's not about the winners. It's about, you know, women coming together for a cause and crossing the finish line. So wait till, you know, three or 400 people come across and then interview those women that are coming mm -hmm. across. So, you know, it's, it's, it's high, you know, people are competitive. We try to keep the 
competitiveness out. Um, it's more about women sharing and doing something great together. You know, part of why I really wanted to interview you is that there are two women in my office, both of whom ran in a triathlon for the first time in their lives at age 68, and for whom this was an enormous source of inspiration and um, it's hard to really put words to what it meant to them and to all of us in the office hearing about it, cheering them on. For it was a, it was a, a many months long process of preparation. It was not just a day. And I wanted to ask you: Is that you know what are the stories that you hear? Well, I, I'm going to talk about one of the women that are in your office, and I'm not sure that I can say her name, um, but she is 68 and year one. I remember her vividly. She came to every single clinic. We put on, we, not only do we put on a race, we teach people how to do the triathlon, okay? So if you're unsure of how to do an open water swim, you can come to our clinics. You can come to our biking clinics. We'll teach you about transitions. So anyway, this woman came to all the clinics and, you know, she asked questions and because she was older, we would take the time to, you know, really explain everything and, when the triathlon was over, she called me and she said, Julie, she said, I was in tears coming back on my bike. She only did the bike portion. And um, she said, I didn't want it to end. It was mm -hmm. so special for me. I never wanted it to end. And so year two, she made the dedication at 68 to do the entire event by herself. And she did. And she was the oldest survivor and she did a fabulous job and she was so proud I you know and she's such an inspiration for other women it was just an amazing she'll be a dear friend forever forever and I'll never forget the smile on her face when she crossed that finish line by herself I think it's fair to name her. I think we can just say, we're talking about <laughs> Betsy Hood. This yes. is for you, Betsy. Yes. <laughs> That's such a wonderful story to end it. I, wa I want to ask you, I know it was Betsy who told me that before the race, the triathlon, that Meredith reads a poem to everybody. And I wondered if, you, if we could close with that poem. Sure. Actually, Meredith doesn't read the poem. She has the cancer survivors, each one of them, say a line. Okay. But I'll read all the lines tonight, and it's called, What Cancer Cannot Do. And it says, Cancer is so limited, it cannot cripple love, it cannot shatter hope, it cannot corrode faith, it cannot eat away peace. It cannot destroy confidence. It cannot kill friendship. It cannot shut out memories. It cannot silence courage. It cannot reduce eternal life. And it cannot quench the spirit. Julie Marchese, thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you, Dr. Rand. <laughs> I want to talk now just a little bit more about the WMPG Begathon before we end. If you have been listening to this show and are inspired by Julie's story or by Betsy's story and would like to continue to have a space on the radio where you can hear these kinds of things, please consider giving money to WMPG to support the programming here, which is always local, always about community. And every bit helps. $10, $2,000, whatever you can give. 
That's right. In fact, if you have $2,000 that you would like to give to WMPG for that amount, you can go to New York and have dinner with Amy Goodman of Democracy Now! and go to the show live, which would be pretty exciting. If I had $2,000, that's what I'd be spending it on. I would, too. (laughs) The number to call, if you would like to give to WMPG, is 874-3000. And whatever amount you can give would be wonderful. There are T-shirts, there are magnets, there are sweatshirts, there's... All kinds of box sets of CDs that there you can get for that. There are volunteers waiting for your phone call. If you want to drop in with your money, too, there's l- chicken wings. There, There's great <laughs> food here. There's a great festive atmosphere. Yeah. We're having a wonderful time. Um, I'm just thinking what else we want to say about reasons to give or reasons to love the station. Coming up after this is Money Talks with Allison, which is another great reason. Allison talks about money, which is an incredibly awkward subject to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Very much in keeping with the safe space theme. And uh, it's a rare show like this. Where else do you have such a funny show that's local about an awkward subject? Follow, I mean, um, preceded by a serious show, you know, that's local and not Awkward. (laughs) (laughs) And live. (laughs) Right. Awkward and live. We specialize. (laughs) Local community. Awkward radio. WMPG. 874-3000 if you'd like to give money to us. (laughs) And I want to just tell you we are wrapping up a series on living with life-threatening illness. I do have a few more weeks left. Next week is going to be Carol Sylvester from the Center for Grieving Children. She's going to be talking about the Tender Living Care program there, working with kids after a family member or parent has been diagnosed with cancer. She's going to be really wonderful and inspiring. So um, I think if you would like to hear that, after that I have David Treadway. He's going to be coming on talking about cancer and his family. He's written an amazing book about. that's co-authored by his wife and his two sons about his uh, struggle with cancer. Also very moving. So Allison is making her way over to this studio to get ready for Money Talks. You still have time, yes you do, to give money in advance of listening to Money Talks. Please do so at 874-3000 to show your support for WMPG. So this is Dr. Ann Singh signing off. If you would like to have a request or suggestion for a future show, please email me at drannwmpg at gmail.com. That's dr.annewmpg at gmail.com.